You're listening to A Tour Through John. This is Lesson 3. In the previous two sessions, we set the stage by covering the prologue, that vital introduction to the Gospel of John that lays out the major emphases, and particularly the notion that God will reveal himself through a human. The Word becomes flesh, Christ a man, and like us, entering into the weakness, the challenge, the trials of humanity. So we continue now in verse 19. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing? If you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pause right there. Um, Just for clarity, it said this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites. In John's gospel, normally when it says the Jews, it's referring to the establishment, particularly to the Jewish leaders, not to rank-and-file Jews. Uh, Sometimes people will say that uh, the the gospel is anti-Semitic. Well, that's kind of crazy because, I mean, apart from Luke and Acts, the whole New Testament's written by Jews. Uh, They're not anti-Jewish. But there is some fairly harsh criticism against the Jews in the Gospel of John. But the Jews refers to the leadership, uh, typically the Pharisees, not the common people. Uh, I hope that's helpful. That phrase, the Jews, you know, it appears very few times in the other Gospels, just 16 times, but 70 times in John. So it's the establishment. Now they're sending um, priests and Levites to question John the Baptist. He's come under scrutiny, and they want to know if he is connected with the Messiah or if he's claiming to be the Messiah. Oh, there's a lot uh, to so many things I could say here. I mean, he he denies it. Ultimately, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. There's a an ancient rabbi who spoke. Um, his words related to the sandals, I think, are very instructive. Listen to this. His name is Yehoshua ben Levi. He said, all works which a slave performs for his master, a disciple should do for his teacher except undoing shoe straps. Okay, so this is John the Baptist saying, you know, um, I would even do that, but I'm not worthy. It's not I'm above it. 
It's I'm I'm below it. That's the humility of this guy, John the Baptist, who's who's out baptizing on the east side of the Jordan. Your Bible probably says Bethany. The King James Bible says Bethabara. They're actually a couple of Bethanies. One is very close to Jerusalem, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. This is a different Bethany. This is on the other side. This would be in modern Jordan, um, but it's it's not really that far away. You could get there on foot in a day if you hustle. So the authority of John the Baptist is under investigation. Uh, as I mentioned last time, he refused to glorify himself, and that's a great hint for us not to shine the spotlight on us or our great church or our changed lives or how together we are. Spotlight really needs to be on Christ. John refuses to let people believe he's something he's not. He's not the Messiah. Now, in the first century, messianic expectation was running high. And so it was important to distance himself from imposters and from political troublemakers. It's a similar dynamic with Jesus. Jesus has no political agenda either, uh, but he could be mistaken, as the apostles were. Think of Paul being confused with the Egyptian um, when he's uh, when they stretch him out. They're going to flog him, remember, in Acts 22. So the Baptist isn't the Messiah. He's not Elijah. Not literally. I mean, he is the Elijah to come, right? He's not literally Elijah. He's not a reincarnation. That's not part of Christianity. But he comes in the spirit of Elijah. And reading the last three verses of Malachi, you'll see, oh yeah, he's definitely like Elijah, calling people back to the law. And uh, in the first few verses of Malachi 3, um, he's preparing the way for the Lord. He's also not the prophet. Now that, that's a little bit obscure. For a long time, I didn't know what that meant. But it's a reference to Deuteronomy 18, which is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy, actually it's quite clear, that it can't refer to anyone else except Jesus. And, and Peter uses this in Acts chapter 3. So John identifies himself as the messenger, just a messenger, the messenger of Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, to prepare the way for the Lord. And after the messenger, this is the really cool thing about Malachi, it says, then the Lord himself will come to his temple. And it talks about his indignation burning hot against the Levites and the leaders who are misrepresenting him. If you're not familiar with all these Old Testament references, you know, take take a moment to to look them up. If I mention something in passing, it's not just to get extra words so my podcast isn't too short. I'm referring you to things that you already know or or that you should know. Uh, so don't let things slip by you. Well, his right to baptize, John the Baptist is questioned by the Pharisees. You know, I mean, if you're not the Christ, what are you doing baptizing? And John just, he, he, he doesn't claim to be something he's not. He emphasizes he's not worthy. And even though he's humble, he runs up against the religious establishment. All the leaders of the establishment challenge his authority. And that's the exact same pattern we will see with Christ. In fact, the same groups that oppose John will be opposing Jesus very, very soon. Jesus was clearly a threat to the establishment. Just say something about um, uh, baptism, that is John's baptism, and then we'll continue reading. Why why did he baptize anyway? I mean, how did the Jews end up associating uh, going in the water with moral cleansing? Well, I suppose the symbolism um, is fairly clear. 
Many religions have ceremonies involving water and, and cleansing, but in Leviticus, this is especially pronounced uh, in the Torah. In Jerusalem around this time, the Jews frequently immersed themselves. They were baptizing themselves. Now, they weren't baptized by others, a little bit different, but they would do it before they went up to the temple to worship. The more observant Jews would do it daily, and the wealthy ones even had baptistries in their homes. So baptism was not considered strange or unusual. And at the day of Pentecost, with the 3,000 men getting baptized and who knows how many women, it wouldn't have looked odd because there were scores of baptistries all around the Temple Mount. Um, so, uh, you know, the Jews going up would be... Well, the, the kind of baptism that they did at that time uh, was walking down steps into an immersion pool and out. So it was different from Christian baptism because it was repeated. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Secondly, um, the subject was active, not passive. Someone didn't baptize you, you baptized yourself. Right? So that's not the same as Christian baptism, which in which we are passive. And um, of course, this this was not a, a ceremony that brought one into a right relationship with God. It was more to remind them that they needed to stay uh, moral and, and cleansed. So in publicly identifying yourself as a sinner, you know, personal humility and solidarity with the other penitent Jews um, is what I think was emerging from John. I mean, John, is, he's not all that, you know, he's not acting like he's you know, so, someone so important. He's clearly sinful. And, and, and that's why the contrast with Jesus is all, all the greater. In fulfilling the mission of Malachi 4, it was vital that people specifically repent of sin, particularly relationships with one another in families. And that's the way God was going to get his people ready for the coming of the Messiah. Same now. If we have things against family members, we have things against uh, others, or we're holding on, we're bitter, uh, that can really hurt us. And of course, if we refuse to forgive, then the Lord won't even forgive us, as Jesus said in the, uh, the middle of Matthew 6. So John was building a natural bridge, not only to Christ, but also to Christian baptism. So his baptism, John's baptism fades out and Christian baptism comes in with the church. Now, this is the year uh, 27 AD. Jesus is an unknown. Uh, not many people know him. But despite his divinity and despite the obvious, very serious need for religious reform, and for someone to say something, right, prophetic preaching, Jesus waits. He doesn't begin his so-called public ministry when he's 20 years old or 15 or 25. He, he waits quite a while. And that was important. There are many reasons for that. In my podcast on Jesus Christ, I, I list those reasons. But one of those would be that John the Baptist's ministry is still going, and their ministries will only slightly overlap. But he's the messenger. And the, the king, the Messiah, follows the messenger. He doesn't go in front of him. So once John has come and done the preparatory work and stepped aside, then it'll be time for Christ to step up. So that sequence is important. Now, we're going to continue our study of John, and we're going to pick up on the second day of the narrative. You may say, what do you mean the second day? Well, what we just read was from the first day. And in, uh, we see several days mentioned in John chapter 1. So the first day is covered in the verses we read, 19 to 28. Um, that was that 
that entire section that we just commented on. So now we're in the next day, which is the second day. You ready? The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And that's uh, as far as we'll read in the scriptures today. So this second section, which is the second day, uh, what's actually happening here? What's going on? Uh, We read that, again, John the Baptist is speaking, and Jesus is approaching him. He calls him the Lamb of God. He puts himself down. He, He exalts Jesus. And he says that Jesus will baptize with the Spirit. Well, Christian baptism is in water also. And Jesus makes that pretty clear in chapter 3, verse 5. But there's a difference because in Christian baptism, the Holy Spirit is doing something. The Spirit is coming into our hearts. Whereas in John's baptism, though their sins were forgiven, they were not receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Now that's got to be a clear reference to the offerings of the Old Testament sacrificial system like Leviticus 9 and 14. Jesus bears our sins. But it's also a reference to the Messiah. Because in Jewish literature, the Messiah is sometimes portrayed as a lamb. Uh, Very clearly in Isaiah 53, he's a lamb led to the slaughter. And 1 Peter 2 picks up that theme. So does Revelation 5. Remember the dove. The dove comes down. John says, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, what is that? Well, the dove is reminiscent of the bird returning to the ark in Genesis 9, I think. And you can compare the baptisms, the baptism accounts of Jesus in, in all four Gospels, uh, Mark 1, uh, Matthew 4, Luke 4, and John 1. So that the, ar- the dove comes back to the ark, and it's a whole new world. In fact, it's a whole new age coming into the world. The message of the kingdom isn't, let's just do better, and uh, maybe the situation will improve. The message is that the future kingdom of God has arrived surprisingly early. It's actually overlapping with our present age. Now, in one sense, the kingdom has always been here. You could say that it comes in waves, I suppose. But it's a new world even now. That's why... The Bible says we're in the last days, the final period of human history, that last epoch. But it started at Pentecost. In fact, it was kind of coming uh, even before Pentecost. So Jesus, uh, John, that is, redirects his disciples to Jesus. After all, that was the entire purpose of his ministry. Because he says, here's the lamb. That's the one. He's the guy. (laughs) You know, I'm not the guy. So what's John saying in in many words? uh, Follow him. Uh, Look, all my disciples, they're yours. Take them all. 
That was the purpose. And that's actually what happened. A number of John's disciples switch over and become disciples of Jesus. And yet it's not a complete change because that was the whole purpose. John was getting them ready for Jesus. Interesting comment. He says, I wouldn't have known who he was. I wouldn't have recognized him, uh, except for one thing, and that was that the Spirit came down. Now, people have asked me, well, aren't they cousins? Aren't, isn't Mary and um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is John's mother, aren't they related somehow? Yeah, I think so, at least according to Luke's gospel. But of course, that doesn't mean that they necessarily knew each other. Um, if they lived uh, some distance away, if it was a day or two distance away, they might, have, might only have met once ever, or maybe never. But he, so he doesn't recognize Jesus because Jesus had a halo, right? Or Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes uh, like a Californian. He recognized them because God gave a sign. So Jesus just looked like probably any ordinary Jewish male of the day. His appearance wasn't important. The heart was all important. But the spirit resting on Jesus showed beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was the Messiah prophesied in passages like Isaiah 7 and 9 and 11 and 42 and many other passages. And this theme of testimony is strong in John's gospel. It's one of the triple seven. I mentioned uh, in the first lesson that John has a triple seven. That is, there's seven I am statements, there's seven signs, and there's seven testimonies. And let me read John's testimony again. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now, in tomorrow's lesson, we'll hear the testimony from Nathaniel, which is also in chapter one. The third instance of testimony comes from the Samaritans. After Jesus has diverted, um, well, yeah, to the town of Sichar and has spent a couple days with them. That's when they say, now we know that he really is the savior of the whole world. In, in John 6, after the Capernaum message uh, in the synagogue of Capernaum, uh, droves of people just walk away. The impression is only the central nucleus of disciples remains. And Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And of course, Peter says, where are we going to go? You know, we we believe, we know who you are. You're the Holy One. And so that's a confession. The fourth one, the fifth confession actually will come from the blind man in chapter nine. The blind man who sees who Jesus is, whereas the establishment uh, religious leaders are blind to who Jesus is. John is so full of irony. The sixth confession is on the lips of Martha. That's in the chapter where Lazarus is raised from the dead, uh, chapter 11. And the last one is from Thomas, where he falls down and says, my Lord and my God. Now, you can find a couple of confessions on the lips of non-believers, but they're not, um, <clears throat> they're not genuine confessions. You know, Caiaphas says it'd be better for one man to die than for a whole nation to be destroyed. That's in the end of chapter 11. Uh, <clears throat> and it's, it's a kind of prophecy, but he has no faith. And similarly with Pilate in uh, 1919. Anyway, those are the seven confessions. We come to faith through testimony. We like to think of ourselves as being so logical that someone just presents the reasons and then we accept it and, and, and then we become Christians. And maybe when you share your story with people, you say, yes, I was seeking and they showed me this and that and I had this question answered and that question answered and I did the logical thing and I became a Christian. But it's not really the way it works. 
very few people move like that. We begin um, our conversion, we get on that process through testimony. Not just reading the Bible, but the testimony of people who are trying to follow Christ. We hear what they have to say. We trust them. We come to admire them. We trust them. We even begin to love them. I finished a great book on Christian evidences today called Is Christianity Really True? by Ron Highfield. And he makes a very strong case. This is a very intelligent author, author by the way, an amazing thinker. But he says it really doesn't work. Uh, you know, people become Christians through pure logic. It, it has a lot to do with uh, just believing the testimony, the message that the apostles were teaching. And, and you meet Christians you admire and and it's it's a very different kind of path than than uh, uh, just logical steps, as though it was part of a Socratic dialogue. Socrates is leading you along with all these questions and all these steps. We, we come to faith through testimony in a context of relationship. Testimony is one of the three main themes of the Gospel of John. And I mentioned the seven confessions of John the Baptist, Nathaniel, the Samaritans, Peter, the blind man, Martha, and Thomas. Let's pray as we close out today's lesson. Lord, please um, knock any pride out of us that is self-congratulatory, thinking we're so smart or we're so logical. Uh, We know that often our thinking is chaotic, it's kind of messy. But what we've responded to is not a a logical lesson or or philosophy lecture. No, what we responded to is, is the message of Jesus, and we heard it from people who were really trying to follow, and testimony is so vital. And just as it helped us become Christians, we know there are people out there who who will become Christians because of our testimony. So today, open our mouths. We don't know what to say, but help us to do our best like the Samaritan woman. Help us to, to, to not let people have the wrong idea about who we are. Help us to follow in the steps of John, who, who was humble and, and, and put himself down in, in a good kind of a way. Father, we thank you for this powerful gospel, and I pray that our fourth and final lesson on on John 1 uh, will go really well tomorrow, too. May this lesson stay in our hearts today. Uh, We pray it in your son's name. Amen.